And we have another podcast that I got to record in here coming in at 6.30. So we probably will wrap this up um, just a little bit after yeah, 6. Yeah. Can I yell racist things at them? Absolutely when, not. Okay. I'll be sitting there the whole time just like just <laughs> like a character in one of those Netflix horror shows in the background. You're going to start though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. What's going on, quitters? It's another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. I'm your host, as always, Max Mallon. Today is June 25th, 2023. It is a humid and muggy day in Brooklyn. I went to the rock climbing gym for not as long as I'd like to because I was gross and sweaty and tired because the air is wet and it drives me crazy. But guys, we have a very special guest today recommended to me by my good friend, Dan Wicks. Check him out. He's a previous episode. We talk about roast battles and comedy. The autistic Dan Wicks. <laughs> He has a joke about that. He's riddled he's not, with autism. He's, he has Tourette's. He's not autistic. Is he? Yeah, that's okay. what... <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, guys, please give up right now for Amber Flannery Fields. Hi, I'm Amber. How are you doing? <laughs> Thanks for coming on. No problem. You... So you... Dan hit me up because he said you have something you want to promote. And yeah. right now you are you're a tour guide yeah. and you are on TikTok. That's kind of your main platform yeah. right now. Embarrassingly. Embarrassingly. I, TikTok, <laughs> the person inside the TikTok offices hit the button because I crossed whatever demographics they want to get. Mm -hmm. And then I got a lot of views. And then I'm on the uh, roller coaster of TikTok where I got a lot of views and not a lot of views. What I do is I do tour guide content. And every now and then I talk about queer content. And uh, as the first trans woman to not be annoying about being trans a lot of it's just especially like i like uh, i like talking about race i don't know i grew up in areas where i was the only white person in the room mm -hmm. so it's just like a weird thing that i just look at all the time but i'm not annoying about it you know what i mean okay. and i'm not instagram infographics we yeah, need yeah, to yeah. talk about this it's yeah. more glib and uh mm -hmm. straightforward nice yeah, yeah. so how long have you been a tour guide? I've been a tour guide for eight years. Eight years. I Whoa. used to do stand up comedy. And right. like uh, tour guiding originally started as a quick cash job because you, you do stand up. You, stand up comedy pay has not changed since 2006. Yeah. So like it's not sustainable. And mm. I got caught up with tour guiding. I ended up quitting comedy in 2020 just because like it's a it's not fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's not. I mean, it is fun, but also it's just really, really rough. A lot of emotional up and down. Yes. And then. Uh, when I came back, I came out of the closet in 2021 and also uh, comedy wasn't a world I want to get back into. And also I was doing all right at tour guiding and it's, yeah, yeah. I'm doing I'm getting paid more doing the same thing where I'm standing in front of people telling jokes. And mm. also it's more consequential because like I'm in front of kids and giving them education about what a city is. And right. I like that. It's and, a good marriage yeah. of like entertainment and information. Yeah. And you get paid for it. <laughs> I kind of think of it. I feel like there's this like medium of art that's like, I don't want to call this art, but like mm -hmm. there's stand up comedy, wrestling, and I consider tour guiding where it's just like feet on the ground stuff. I'm not doing an orchestra. I'm just feet on the ground and sort of like wrestling and wrestling's fake. I don't know if you knew this, but like, it is. <laughs> yes, it's, of course. It's, it's I <laughs> so like wrestling and stand up, like for me at least, how I'd practice is like, I'd have the bits in my head mm -hmm. that I would do that I've done a million times, but also to keep it fresh, there would be a lot of improvisation. I can yes. say that word. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then also a lot of negotiation with the audience. Like I could say a bit 500 times, but I have 500 different audiences. So it's going in different tones, mm. different things. Like as a tour guide, sometimes I have people who don't speak English as a first language, so I can't use idioms. You know right, what I mean? Right. If I say fork in a road, all of a sudden people look like a yes, dog yeah. being shown a card trick. Yep. So, um, and I think it's it's fun and it's it's 
the whole reason I did stand up, this sounds like my, we all have selfish, degenerate reasons to do stand up, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the reasons I started yeah. doing stand up was because it would get me political power. Mm. You got a bunch of people looking at you and you could just say whatever psycho shit you want and they walk away with it and then they can't deny that those psycho shit's in your head. And, um, you know, I had limited access to stages at the time I did stand up. And again, yeah, there's a huge pay ceiling when it comes to stand up because the people who make money off of stand up don't respect comedians. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I get just as much access to whatever power I can get through a tour guide. That sounds right. silly, but, you know, every job you work at McDonald's, you could poison people. You could kill hundreds of people in a day. <laughs> if you work at McDonald's, you could kill people. <laughs> Not recommended quitters. If you're listening while flipping burgers, don't do that. <laughs> don't don't listen to him. Listen to me. A trans woman, because you can always trust trans women. You're always trustful. <laughs> I like um yeah, I think I think you you pointed out a couple of things that I've never thought about is like comedy as wrestling makes yeah. sense. Total. Yeah. That's a great metaphor. You have yeah. the moves you practice and then you're out there in the ring yeah. and you got to improvise to glue them together in a way. Yeah. Specifically like, like let's say, I don't know, uh, Hulk Hogan's going against um, Kevin Steen or something mm. like that. And they're like, okay, we're going to start with this. Cause that's going to be, we have a story we want to tell. Yeah, like, yeah. I got a bad back. So you're going to keep on beating up on my back and we're going to do all these cool moves to tell that story. So you're going to do this flip this flip, this flip, but to get from point A to point B, their bodies are random dice rolls. Mm -hmm. So like, okay, I'm going to go this over here. Like, um, you know, I remember one time I watched a wrestling match and like the little kendo stick thing like yeah, bounced yeah, off yeah, the yeah. ring and one of the wrestlers accidentally caught it. So of course in character, like he's going to go beat up the guy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's not part of the story they're telling, but they're eventually we'll get back down to the end of the story. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. and I, I like that, uh, I knew I know a lot of comedians who have done tour guide jobs yeah. because of its comedy adjacency, you know. Tim Dillon, I started with. He's a guy. He's just mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know if you know him. He's just he's just like <laughs> Joe watered down Joe Rogan. Like and he's like one of the top Patreon guys. He's just sad. He's like if like like if the great Gatsby guy was like 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 just a fat gay guy from jersey who's just mad at the world because mm -hmm. have you noticed no matter how much money you get still doesn't address the hole in your heart yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tour guiding yeah. uh you started tour guiding eight years ago yeah. so that is 2015 ish i think so yeah, what what kind of tours were you doing at that time originally i started off okay so like i gave a kid up for adoption i got stories and stories i'm sorry uh i gave a kid up for adoption as an open adoption and i was hanging out with the uh, adopted parents and they're like was working mostly like bad minimum wage jobs because mm -hmm. like I don't get into the tranny shit. I don't, it's the least interesting thing about me. But like, you know, when you're not, when you're like, your brain is like wired in the way that a chick is, I'm way underselling what the science of this shit is because I don't get it. It's fucking just myself. But like, when your brain's like, hey, you should be getting estrogen right now. And like, you're just pumping testosterone in yourself. And you're not like, connected with you are that's hard for a job interview it's just like mm. why don't you tell me your biggest weaknesses and i'm like i don't know you know what i mean mm. and so i would get a string of minimum wage jobs that were really bad and would just suck my entire life away and i told um uh my kids adopted parents about this and they're like why don't you work for this place called museum hacks i'm like mm -hmm. museum hacks what is that it's like well they make museums fun which is 
an obscene phrase to me, right? Yeah, like, yeah. have you been to museums? They got old shit. That's mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. You can just imagine yourself stealing it. That's like inherently fun. But it was like a tour guide thing. And then um, I uh, took the tour guide license. Yeah. Like I crammed it. And it's this stupid license that it just has a trivia contest that half the answers are like factually wrong. So you have to study for the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. I got like, I got... Uh, well enough that I managed to get my card and then it's, it's like a New York City tourism board yeah. type thing yeah it's a New York City tourism board thing it's like um Whoa. it's like a make work kind of thing like mm-hmm. there's no like I think it's like I think it's a little I would say like uh racist in the fact that it's just like gatekeeping that prevents people from getting access to like a regular ass job but also at the same time it keeps my paycheck rare you know what I mean yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, we can demand $50 an hour for being a tour guide um, I got the job. I applied to Museum Hacks. They're like, who the fuck are you? And then they kicked me out. Can I cuss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I say the word cunt? Yeah. <laughs> say whatever you want. Just can don't I, be. Can I say slurs? No. Let's, okay. let's stay away from that one. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, my, my rule is you can uh, name names, but name names if you got something nice to say about them. Oh, okay. That's Otherwise, yeah, yeah. keep it. Yeah, keep... I'm not looking to start drama. I mean, I guess I was like trying to like, I was being passive aggressive about Tim Dillon, but like, I don't know. I'm trying to like stoop. Whatever. I got my Batman villain plans in my head. Um, <laughs> Uh, the place where you kind of start as a tour guide, at least back in the day, like if you do stamp comedy or if you're aware of that kind of thing, in theory, check spots are kind of where you start doing stamp comedy and they just let you do it indefinitely mm-hmm. until everybody you ever knew or friends with surpasses you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the place you start is on top of the double decker buses. And so okay. I just marched into the offices of one of the double decker bus companies. They hired me off the st- spot. They didn't care. And um, I was doing pretty all right. And then um, it was so stupid. I like, you know, the 2010s, I don't know how much people are aware. It was like a comedy boom, but only of comedians. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And some of it came out in the culture, like how many TV shows were about comedians trying to make it. Mm-hmm. Right. And how many podcasts? I think like Mark Marin, one of his big impacts is just like change the culture of comedy where you get a bunch yeah. of people who are successful and say, like, if you just work hard mm-hmm. and if you just believe in yourself, like it's going to happen to you. Yeah. And then like the ones who are really, really like the ones who aren't shitty would be say otherwise. But I. Uh, Stamp comedy, I think, like, of the 2010s, I think the story is that the recession happened, right? Okay, yeah. uh, uh, 08. And then you get a bunch of, especially white millennials, but not entirely, who were promised their middle-class destiny, mm-hmm. but that's being denied because they're coming out of college and, like, that crappy CPA job doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So they move into the places where it's cheap the, and gentrify, like, New York yep. and enter into the lottery system of success where, you know, if you become famous, you become safe. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. And that's how, like, that mentality was in but also it's like kind of a rigged game like so many people not everybody there are plenty of people who started off with nothing and did it well with themselves but i noticed that a lot of kids parents would pay for all their shit yep, yep. and that meant they had time to focus on their creative endeavors mm-hmm. and they did well for themselves uh that kind of uh made me make the assumption of like if i just save up enough money to live by myself for an entire year mm-hmm. then that would give me the creative but that didn't work like i right, saved right. up so much money i walked away from the bus company right before they unionized like i was helping them i don't want to get into that but like um yeah like i lived for a year like really really cheap on like a dwindling bank account that mm. was like just slowly dipping and i did creative stuff that i'm proud of but i think i always do creative stuff when i'm like in stressed yes <laughs> economically stressed situations yeah. and like that's not how that works for the rich kids. It's right. Not, it's not just about money. Yeah. They speak in rich. You know what yeah. I mean? You There's, can spot them a mile away too. Yeah. You can smell them. It's yeah. a smell. Like like those kids will, like I don't, 
I, I mean this to respect because like it's not I know plenty of untalented rich kids. You mm. know what I mean? And it's not uh, against them. But like, um, you know, I could really picture like some kids like sitting across from an MBA at Viacom and like speaking of their shared experience doing tennis. You know what mm. I mean? And I don't speak that language. And also like I think I was talented at the time, but I was not like. I've done, I don't want to get back into stand up, but I've gone on stage a couple of times mm -hmm. and jokes I wrote about like men and women are different makes so much more sense when you're like a woman saying that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and like that was like something that was kind of missing. But, um, yeah. And then now I do, um, I do, I always like to say I, uh, 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 uh green eggs and ham my job because mm -hmm. I've, I do tours all over, like on a boat, on a bus, airplane. <laughs> like it's just, yeah, yeah. It's just how I am. Yeah. And it's fun. Mostly so, I do tour directing nowadays. Yeah. So you, you start off with the, the double decker bus yeah. job. And that's like, if, as I understand it, those are just like midtown kind of circuit yeah. tours, right? And it's a romantic way. I think, you know, my shitty tagline on uh, my TikToks is like, hi, I'm Amber. I'm the only good tour guide in New York City. <laughs> yeah, I like I'm, that. <laughs> I mean, like if something comes from like, 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 you know, you need a hook and someone like I talked to this like TikToker who's like bigger than me who said that like the reason that line works for me is because people like being inside of a secret. Yes. You know what yeah, I mean? Yes. So like, I'm Especially showing Especially for New York city. Yeah. They want it in. Yeah. It's like, they're like the weird, like I have one of my TikToks. I just was making fun of that. Like, I, it's just me doing a joke, but I go like, uh, here's some Chinatown secrets. Cause it's kind of racist talking about Chinatown as if it's this like mystical place. It's just, it's fucking Chinatown. So you got mm -hmm. a bunch of good food, but, um, going on top of those buses, I would call it. So it's like, if someone was intentional and was like good about it and it was a good storyteller, it's a great way to tell a story of New yeah. York because yeah. you're flying over the city yeah. and you watch the people on the side of the buses <clears throat> and, um, you know, going back to like the wrestling thing, uh, you're based like the story I tell would be based on like how traffic was. Mm -hmm. So I got the Empire State Building coming up to me and I either got three minutes to tell the story, like 30 seconds to tell the story or like an hour <laughs> to tell the story. <laughs> Whoa. And Interesting. It's, it's You learn how to not only that, but like pull the audiences that you got in front of you. Some of them don't give a crap about you. Yeah. They'll just be up there on the bus and I'm an insecure psychopath. So like I'm trying to pull everybody out and I yes. guess I was motivated by uh, tips. But like... It's just like, um, I don't like the creative boot camp kind of mentality or like the grind mentality. Okay, yeah. Like you got to get, everyone learns how to be good at something every second of the day because mm -hmm. you're living and you are gaining more and more experience. But I think it just made me really good at public speaking. Yes. And uh, it made me good at storytelling. And I think that kind of translates to the thing. And there's like, it was, it's such a, I don't want to be too romantic about it because they're also just these, those buses, like if you are visiting New York City, don't get those buses, especially now. <laughs> like they're yeah. not good. Just get a subway pass. And uh same time, like they would do these things called deadheads. Like they okay. would do those with the airplanes uh as well. And it's like um we got buses. The bus would go from midtown down to the battery. The if my hand was Manhattan, if you're watching this instead of listening, just imagine a hand. Uh, my hand, Manhattan's the middle of the island. Where we would start was Times Square is the middle of the island. Mm -hmm. We would go all the way down to the southernmost part and then work our way back up. Yes. And sometimes some there'd be huge lines on the bottom, so they would send an empty bus with a tour guide in there mm. to go pick up those customers. And 
I would be flying through the city like 20 feet above the ground, mm -hmm. like a boat. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'd just yeah. be like, sometimes I'd be like resting on the seats, like reading while I would look up and all I see is sky and skyscrapers just flying mm -hmm. on me on like a 70 degree spring day. And it was such like a romantic way to get through the city. Especially because you're not like avoiding people on the sidewalk. Yeah. You're just kind of cruising. How you go through the city changes how you perceive it. Right. Yes. Right. Like in the the subway, they call the melting pot. That's the crucible yep. of the melting pot. Uh, when Meanwhile, Robert Moses took a car everywhere oh, and Robert he ruined Moses. the city he because of it. He could drive. If you guys don't know Robert <laughs> Moses, he was the most powerful guy in New York City for about uh, 50 years. Yeah. And he was a gray faced bureaucrat who was really, really good at leveraging power. Yes. Uh, basically, I'm shortening the story here, but he, let's just say he started out in the parks department, built a bunch of highways between parks, got a bunch of money through toll roads, and would leverage that money coming in to eventually take over as many as 12 different departments as once in New yeah. York City. But well, I just took, went into full tour guide mode. Yeah, like, right. But he never, yeah. he never learned how to drive. Yeah. He, and never, he, would, just, he would get driven everywhere yeah. and essentially design the city so it was easier for him to get driven everywhere yeah. and to keep uh, minority neighborhoods away from like the center of Manhattan. He was uh, the guy who wrote the book on him. There's like a the power broker, huge book. Like you can crush a cat with this book if you dropped it on a cat. Like it's called the Power Broker. I'm going through it right now. The audiobook. Um, it's sixty hours. Like I'm six hours <laughs> wow. in, and I think like I'm gonna have a digression because like Robert Moses is such a fun figure, and I made a TikTok about it recently. I don't know if you. Saw I didn't it. see that you one. Don't but have to. But I watched. Yeah. It, I watched like a couple docs about him a while yeah. back. Yeah, he. Uh, he is interesting. I think something interesting about it is like the book is good. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be like just dry dad book stuff, but like it's a mafia movie. It tells the story or like uh, it's kind of Breaking Bad where you watch a guy slowly turn who was always yeah. corrupt the whole time. But like you watch like how did this happen kind of story of like how did that's kind of the fun of Breaking Bad is the high of a school teacher. Yeah. We love characters who change. Yeah. Right. And that's the whole premise of Breaking Bad is the most amount of change you could ever see in somebody. How a school teacher can become a drug kingpin. Mm -hmm. And for him, he started off high. He was yeah. a, a, a Jewish upper middle class dude mm -hmm. and spoiled his ass off. And he ended up going into the Ivy League system and he was always on the outside, which yeah. makes the most racist person because if you're a Jewish person right outside of waspy society you're the guard dog for racism mm. and he bought into it probably more than the waspy people the waspy people yeah. can just stand in the back and just let the system work for them he actively created a bad racist system and he was also kind of a reformer like he yeah. did well in his early career and he had like idealistic plans where like uh, New York City in the late 19th century, early 20th century, they were uh, really, really corrupt. Yeah. And they had a lot of patronage jobs. So you're an Irish immigrant, you get off the boat, I'll give you a free job or you're doing nothing, right? Mm -hmm. You're sitting on your butt. That's exploitation. And it's good yeah. that immigrants are getting it, but a lot of people are getting shut out. Like black people are getting shut out, like other immigrant classes. And so he was a part of this like wave of reform movement where they tried to just destroy this annoying, complicated bureaucracy that wasn't making a city do a city, what a yeah. city should do. And like where I'm at in the story is just like this, like really like it's such a great arc already where he is his original talent was like writing really good laws. Yeah. And like really good at just like crafting legislation that was airtight 
and figuring out how a bureaucracy works. Yes. And he wrote all these new laws that were a little bit of him micromanaging. Like he's like, okay, so if you're going to work this bureaucrat position, you have to have this score, this score, this score. And that includes like how well you are at smiling or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Like just like, like micromanaging bullshit. Cause that's how he looked at the world is like all these little machines. And, uh, he went against Tammany hall, the mm. political machine. And he just got his ass torn apart. Cause he's just like, I'm a genius. Why don't people just listen to me? I come from the upper middle class. So I'm above all other people. And so like when I come in here with this new law, you guys are just going to follow it. Cause it makes sense. Not thinking about like the people politics and like yeah. how much you kind of have to do uh backdoor sliding. So at the same time, this, I would call it like a former political machine governor, this guy named Al Smith comes in mm -hmm. and he's governor and he wants to reform. And, uh, he has this woman on his side uh, named uh, Belle Moskowitz, if I'm getting that right, if I remember it. This woman's insane. She originally started as an actress, and then she married the right guy into politics. That guy died, and she stuck around with politics. And Al Smith, when he was sitting in his giant governor's mansion oak chair with his giant desk in front of him, and he had a bunch of people asking him important questions that are scary that he's not entirely confident in. Mm -hmm. He would look over to his left and there'd be this old Jewish woman just like knitting and she would just either nod yes or shake her head no. And he would know if that's the right <laughs> thing because she had such good Whoa. political acuity. And uh, I think this is like a kind of a cool way of thinking about things, uh, how she went about it was they had this problem, I think, in the 1910s of like all these factory girls. This is a mm -hmm. horrible problem. I'm glad we solved this in New York. <laughs> all these factory girls would go to these tea houses and they would get drunk and go home and sleep with men. It's mm -hmm. horrible. We yeah. got to address this. This woman, this pioneer, thankfully addressed <laughs> us. So she, like the New York's original solution was just shut down all these tea houses. Right. But it's kind of like now what we got with the weed shops where right. you shut down the weed shop, there's a new weed shop up next week. Yeah. So what she figured out is the books are the answers. Who owns the shop? Look in the books in the shop. And a lot of people who are complaining about these tea houses are also the ones who are trying, who own these tea houses or like own the property of them. So she would go behind the doors and talk to these people and say like, hey, listen, I hear what you say, and I understand you have a really hard problem. How about you shut down your tea house? And then she would like, you know, Game of Thrones her way into mm -hmm. like getting this political thing solved. And same with like, I don't want to get into Al Smith because he's kind of thinks things in a similar way of just like, if just kind of like work the people, the people is the grease. And so Robert Moses, he goes against Tammany Hall, tries to get this reform pushed in. He gets out on his ass and he gets fired and he's no longer in city government. And he's a part of this like, new wave of reformers who have like star eyes and we're like, we're going to fix government. And his whole personality is like reforming the government. And uh, he's out on his ass when Miss Mouskowitz just like, she's in charge of this like new like uh, committee or something mm -hmm. like that. And it's just like, she picked him out of the like Broadway lineup. It's like you, you got smart people face and you got leadership shoulders. You're coming here. You're working for me. You're my pit bull. And he was the policy guy. Like she's like the smart person, the manager who knew how to do stuff. And mm -hmm. then that's how he learned how to like originally kind of like smooth things out. And it's not just enough about being brute force and not just about being a prick. If you're a bad person like that, a lot of it's about being a prick, but a lot of it's about making the right people happy yeah. and fuck the everybody else. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think like that's such a good, and he's still a reformer at this point. He hasn't broke bad. And like, uh, broke the heart of our city. Yeah. But like, it's just such a, 
It's just fascinating he, just to watch that machine come out. Yeah. It's it's wild and yeah. like it's crazy when you learn about Robert Moses for the first time. Yeah. After living in the city for a while, you suddenly yeah. realize how many of the things you've experienced just day to day yeah. are influenced by him and his infrastructure and like the things he did. My you know? Brooklyn Bridge tour, every idiot tours, Brooklyn Bridge tour with yelling on Airbnb, only $30 open bookings. Uh, <laughs> my Brooklyn Bridge tour ends uh, um, off the Brooklyn Bridge in Camden Park, I can't remember what it's called. Isn't that like Brooklyn Heights area? Downtown Brooklyn. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. downtown Brooklyn. Yeah, Camden and, Park. And like, if you point at anything in any direction, it's a Robert Moses thing. Mm -hmm. Like this bad World War II memorial he built because he wanted to put it out of the way because he hated veterans. Like, <laughs> he was, he was, yeah, he was creative in his height. Like, yeah, he, like the uh, the low, like the low overpasses yeah. on the parkways so that buses couldn't get through yeah. them, so they could keep like people who rode buses yeah. out, and you, that's coded. <laughs> you look out, you look up the words racist infrastructure and if it's like of merit of an essay the word robert moses is going to be within the next paragraph yeah like that's how he is as a person um so yeah you and your tour guide stuff we were at bus tours yeah empire state building uh so okay so are you you must be a history buff not really not really i mean no? I'm, not, I'm not being contrarian here i mean i feel like there's this podcast impulse where we're like you must be this thing it's like no i'm <laughs> not because why <laughs> but, would i be agreeable on a podcast i do like history i think it's not my center of my personality and i think my job isn't to be a historian is to put the city in perspective i think like the job of a tour guide is like the job of somebody making a movie based on a true story like okay. it's, you're making a movie before you're making a history booklet interesting and like my job is to put the city in perspective so so when yeah. you were starting as a tour guide, yeah. did you have some course of like, here's the destinations we hit, here's yeah. what you need to say? That's 100% what it was. Okay. Yeah, it was um, when on top of the double-decker buses, I would say there was about 13 stops or like points of interest that you go past. And they sat us in in like a classroom thingy and yeah. like kind of hammered us down with like dumb, micro it was very corporate, very micromanagey. And they gave us a script, but like oh, the script is a jumping off point and you would uh, like stand up is, uh, I can't remember the word, uh, but you're engineering iterative. You iterative do, yeah you do the same thing over and over and over again yeah. until like you smooth it out into a thing so like i go past the empire state building and i think there are cliches and hack things you could kind of respectfully it's also like there's no integrity of this art form so it's right, like right. i'm not i'm not protective about it but like there's like certain hack things that you would talk about just by spirit of going past it like you go past the empire state building you talk about the woman who fell down the elevator shaft right, right. uh Google it. Um, 1945 elevator airplane hit. It, whatever. I don't want to get into it. You're not getting it. One of my TikToks is about it. It's the Empire State Building one. Um, you go past uh, Madison Square Park in the Flatiron. You bring up Spider-Man. You bring up uh, the original Madison Square Garden where the uh, the second Madison Square Garden where the uh, uh, architect got murdered on top of his own roof. Mm. And like you go up 8th Avenue and you just talk about drugs or something. I don't know. But like, <laughs> like you, you hit so, yeah. all those points and then what, you know, how I grow as a tour guide is somebody will ask me a question and then I just Wikipedia it. And then and you kind of add stuff yeah. to the, the roster. And, and like, you know, something I think I had uh, throwing the words, using the word integrity and comedy in the same sentence is like they're allergic to each other. There's no thing. <laughs> but like, I yeah. think I was like a little more intentional about like, how I went about comedy, but also like when I first started, I started in Orlando, Florida. Okay. And the shitty local comedy club had that shitty local comic who was like this tiny little king of his. Mm -hmm. And there's something about me that idealized like these hacks who would um, get their 40 minutes written down in like 2002 and then just spend the rest of their life 
like just not writing anything more. It's wild. Why would you do that? Why They're, would you not write anything? Why think, would you write anything more? Yeah. I think those people are like, uh, I, I I don't use this word lightly. I think they're like NPCs that were designed to overcome yeah. as actual people with artistic like and you can <laughs> like see like integrity <laughs> artifacts inside of these people of like um of like they'll have like survivor jokes which is still relevant, but like, it's just like, who, when'd you write this survivor joke, yeah. JJ Walker? 2004? Uh, yeah. And like, like I respect them. They're degenerate, awful people yeah, yeah. who have probably like, they're horrible people, but like, there's something I respect about not working. I'm sorry, I'm playing with your things. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening at home, I picked up one of his beer. There's a bottle opener on the shelf. And you have uh, like a little, okay, I'm not gonna get We got a whole shelf full of stuff. But like those guys, I had like, some begrudging respect for and also it's just like there's something about like the working man comedy where it's just like a job but yeah, like yeah. you get really good like it reminds me of like cat skills 1950s where yeah, you just have yeah. that hack thing um and there's this movie i can't remember i i know arty art films uh pretty well i don't this one i saw and i think it's by that fellini guy do you know him? He's like a guy that mm. if you want to have a joke about somebody being pretentious like in films, they're like, I love Fellini mm -hmm. or whatever. But he had this film and there's probably somebody who knows this film listening to this who's getting annoyed that I don't know it. Well, you know what? You should go fuck yourself. I'm so sorry, listener. But like, <laughs> I don't know everything. Um, but like this, like it was about like a beautiful circus performer and her love with a strong man. And the strong man's gimmick is like the dumbest gimmick ever. And it follows these people for decades where he has this like spiel where he like hypes up like a chain that mm -hmm. like he's like, look how strong this chain is. This is the strongest chain in the world. And yet I, the strong man, can defy it. And like he like wraps it around himself and then he's like so strong that he flexes and he breaks the chain. That's mm -hmm. his circus gimmick. For decades. <laughs> and he does it for decades. And towards the end, he's just so sad. The woman died. He scared everyone around her. But all he has is this dumb gimmick that means nothing. And there's something about that that is so, I like that so much. So and that's I, your tour guide energy. My tour guide energy is like, I wrote probably, I got like, I would say three hours worth of tour guide material. Wow. And I, I grow and... I try to approach my TikToks with like, I don't want to write anything new, but I sometimes, I think I got a new thing out of like, I have a spiel on elevators now and how mm -hmm. dangerous they are or how dangerous they're not. And um, yeah, like that, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just, there's something like, I like, you know, I took Sam comedy so seriously. I wasn't like, it's an art form, but it is an access to political power mm -hmm. and it is have political value and I do value the work I do in stand-up comedy, but to bring it back to wrestling for another time, there are some wrestlers who are like really talented wrestlers who do not like wrestling at all. Right, right. And like, I would never, I'm not a fan of the medium. I <laughs> I am the only good tour guide. I'm the only tour guide I'd watch. There's like one other guy mm -hmm. at Madison Square Garden and I could talk about him later. Do you guys all know each other? Yeah, we kind of know each other. Not in the way comedians all know each other, which is like really degenerate and incestuous, but like <laughs> we got conventions, we got things and Whoa. like we got the same routes. So we're going around yeah. on the road. Like um, I was also part of my job that I don't know if I want to get too much of a cul-de-sac on. I mean, cul-de-sacs okay. on cul-de-sacs, but like, is I'm also a tour director, which is just a little bit more money and a different title. And I'm with like three to 60 kids for uh, three to eight days and I'm with them 24 seven. So I'm staying yeah, yeah. with them in uh, New York City uh, in their hotel, making sure they don't drown in the 9-11 memorial. Like, mm. It's a lot of responsibilities. And like um, sometimes I do a Washington DC trip that comes up to New York City. And with that, um, like sometimes we'll have people like we just see each other or I work a double right. tour with some people and then we all know each other. 
and um <laughs> you know it's just it's kind of nice and kind of also we're like it's pretty supportive in the way comedians yeah, yeah yeah aren't like comedians are kind of it's weird there's only so many resources of comedy there's only so many brass wearings and so it just makes things really weird and cagey. And, I, I get yeah. that. I think yeah. I think uh, post pandemic that has opened up even more. Yeah. There's more opportunity, mainly because everybody and their grandma is going to be a content creator of some type. You I know? don't trust it. I don't yeah. trust it because like when I transitioned, like uh, uh, I was going into queer community and like I was cagey like as a person who did stand, 10 years of stand-up comedy just like i know the business here yeah, yeah, gonna, yeah. nobody's gonna fuck with me right and then other people's like no this is queer community everybody you know we're different we're all political and it was just like as like clout obsessed and like it's not all like that but like you know if you go into like the intentional queer scenes it's a lot of that philosophy of become famous be safe you know, yeah, I always yeah. think about I've thought about a lot how I started stand up in 2018. Yeah, OK, yeah. so I think and there was where are you coming from? I, I started in Boulder, Colorado, oh, okay, moved yeah. here after a year. Yeah. So 2019, I get There's to New York scene there. Do you mind me asking, uh, do you know, Sarah Kennedy down in uh, New Mexico? Mm. She runs dry heat. OK, then we're no. not going to go on that. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, one thing I noticed is like, especially here. Once I got here, it was like there was so many. There was too many comics. Pandemic yeah. start, most of them disappear. Yeah. Then the 2021, when the vaccine came out, there was like a surge in people who started stand up comedy. So there's tons. So we of destroyed new one virus and created another one. Yeah, it was like the 2008 like recession type yeah. thing. Yeah. But like everyone had been locked up and like was like working from home or unemployed, and they just like were like, "What am I and doing?" And they faced up to mortality. So it's just yeah. like I've always wanted to do this. Yeah, I you're like I always well. want to do yeah. this. And so it's like there the scene is like I'd say stand up is much more friendly now by nature of the fact that there are so many new people in it. Like it's like the culture was like a total flip. And like I can't speak forever, but no. it is um the clout thing is is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the I think at no my matter, friend John Mulaney was talking about this. The yeah, other day. <laughs> I think the like what's wild about human communities is no matter how positive the intention of that community, yeah. it will devolve into a clout thing. Like yeah. I I boulder, I like rock climb. I'm yeah. not the best. I just really enjoy it. Right. Yeah. Every rock climbing gym has like the four guys who no. are like the best at climbing and they yeah. won't like talk to you because you're like, they're like, oh, they're, they're only doing V4. I'm like a V8, V9 climber. And yeah. it, I joke with people. It's like, <laughs> are you like an extremely mid dude? Are you like not tall or not particularly attractive? Well, have you tried rock climbing? Oh my God. This is a great way to yeah. like wave your dick around in everyone's face. <laughs> I, uh, to kind of flip what you said upside down, it's just like agreeing with you just in a contrarian cunty way. Um, I, uh, you probably want to bleep that out for YouTube. I think that word I just used probably is not best for because like the <laughs> captions and stuff. Um, uh, you know, the country way, the country way in a uh, country way. I do community organizing now. Okay. Like, yeah. I run hardcore punk shows at my, church. Oh yeah. I was yeah. going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. We can get into that a little bit later, but something I talk to when I talk to people in community, cause like I need to like, and I kind of hate saying like I do community organizing cause everyone does community organizing. If you run an open mic, you're doing community organizing. Yeah. If you invite a bunch of people to pizza, like you're doing community organizing, mm -hmm. I'm just running hardcore. Like that's the best thing to call running hardcore punk shows at my church. And also like, uh, as a trans person who needs political power, yeah, yeah. you know, cause like people, and when I say that, I mean like people not spitting me in the streets, like, right. like, like not getting what one lawyer said to me 
was the most black and white version of discrimination I've ever seen in my place in my life, workplace discrimination. To get that, like I, I need to attain that. I talk to a lot of people in community. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I I have like to do what I would say is like the amazing things I do. It's just all sitting down and having coffee with people and yeah, conversations yeah. and being friendly, Amber, and then like slowly doing a sneaky thing where like I start like, so, you know, you told me this thing, this thing and this thing and stuff like that. I was like at an anarchist bookstore that I'm like uh, mm -hmm. friends with like a lot of people. It's a uh, blue stocking. Okay. I shouldn't have said the name, but like, and I was like talking to their numbers person. I was like, I'm stupid. I don't know anything. I was Columboing her like mm -hmm. them. I was like. I don't know anything about numbers. And then I was like slowly getting an idea of what the numbers is of this place. And like, because I'm curious mm -hmm. and also like, it helps me know like what type of community I'm standing on top of. But when I'm having a lot of these conversations, what I will tell people a lot is that I did community organizing for three years, like during like the Bush administration. And then I did Sam comedy for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I learned more about how communities work and how to organize people in stand-up comedy because yes. you have the clout thing, the most degenerate monsters you ever seen in your life. Like how many rapists do you know? You look I don't know over them personally, the but I, yeah, like you know, you know, it, you know how it is. Yeah, you, you, you like meet someone at an open mic. You say like, "Oh, hey, nice to meet you," whatever, and you go your separate ways. And then four years later, someone is like, "That person turned out to be a rapist." I and know somebody like, who murdered his mom. Right. My oh, favorite Jesus. story I like to share about a person like just like this isn't the darkest thing I ever heard, but it's just like base level just selfishness is. um a guy goes on a date with his girlfriend and they're in a bar and he gets blasted drunk, hits on the girl next to him, not mm -hmm. his girlfriend, but a girl next to him and goes home with that girl in front of his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Right. That's like obtuse, cruel selfishness and like Trump levels. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. Trump is just so oblivious. You have that community. You're dealing with people inside of that community. And yet communities of support spontaneously happen. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, this is sounds annoying, but I think an open mic is a mutual aid. You know what I mean? Yeah. You guys want performance space. And so everybody just like, that's not how it used to be. Like yeah. early 2000s you used to like have to wait to the end of the com comic strip thing at the end of the night and you go up or then after a while they figured out they could monetize your dreams by turning them into bringer shows. Yeah. And now like you have a bunch of people just like making their own things or yes. like I was in the basement of a shit open mic and someone lost $600 like like in their pocket. And so uh, Daniel J. Parafan just took off his hat without thinking and passed the hat around and she made a hey, big shout out to Daniel Parafan, former guest. Excellent episode. He's an all right person. He's uh, great. <laughs> we used to be best friends and we we're like, I love him, but uh, uh, we, we just stopped talking. Um and he's doing great. And I'm happy to hear he's doing great. I hope he's listening to this. Uh, but like Daniel J. Parafan, that's the type of person he is. Yeah, yeah. Well. And also like that's the type of people that you have inside of community. And, you know, I remember one time I did a naked show and I was standing in the back and, um, of the venue in the green room and stuff like that. And we're all like huddled together. And first of all, we're all naked. And mm -hmm. I kind of realized that sex smell is just sweat. Mm -hmm. Right. Because <laughs> like we're not doing any sex, but it smells like sex back here. Um, but one of the people was a porn star. And like they said that um, in porn, you're either there's only two types of people who do porn, which is a degenerate people pleaser mm -hmm. who has to make everybody around them happy, or the most ice cold robots you ever met in your entire life who have no empathy. And stamp comedy works the same way, very similar, yeah. But not just that, but they're sharing green rooms with each other, yeah, yeah. And even like I think like the selfish weirdos, like that's, you know, I think like what unites comedians is like. 
you know, I always like to bring up that I knew nine people who died in 10 years in stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And three of them, a third of them were people with chronic illnesses. Mm -hmm. And I believe that like, that says something. And it's like the idea that like, um, it tells you that like, it's a healing technique. You know what I mean? Like if you're facing up to your mortality before you have want to face up to your mortality or be prepared to face up to your mortality, you turn to humor. And so it's like, we're, uh, we're all selfish. We're all coming from different things. Some of us mm. are selfish, cruel people. Some of us are like the neediest losers who you ever met in your entire life. Mm. And yet we're all united by this healing technique. Mm -hmm. it, that's what I think is beautiful about it. And like, you know, I think it's very important, like how we talk about comedy now and like, when we talk about it as a political thing, people are like, oh, it's about telling truth to power and it's getting up there on stage and thing. It was like, well, how come, like, that's what we were saying for decades. And now the only people who really say that are the most reactionary yeah. piece of crap saying Because it. that's what it was during the Bush administration yeah. when people were cons like, America was hyper conservative across the board. Yeah. And especially like Obama years coming into like the Trump years, it wasn't about speaking truth to power because everyone was just upset by the 24 hour news cycle that it became yeah. just let's just escape. Let's tell our personal stories yeah. and let's get away from the speaking truth to power yeah. type deal. You know, I think the political power for me in comedy is that it's cheap mm -hmm. and um, specifically it, what we've seen develop in the past couple of years is it gets people in the room in a yeah. time where we don't have a lot of reason to share community with each yes. other and like you're you come from Colorado. I could mm -hmm. probably get on my phone and get like five people you know. You know what yeah, I mean? Because yeah. <laughs> like even though I haven't done comedy since 2020, um, and you in every crappy mid-sized community in America, there is a bad open mic community. Yeah. And there's a yeah. bad bar show community. Like you can go up if you just know the right Facebook groups. Yeah. And, and bad is in quality of show, not quality of people. No, no, no. <laughs> like, but quality of people too. Mixed. <laughs> uh, and like it's not perfect. And yeah, there's always yeah. that crappy like gatekeeper inside of the community. And I think like 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 uh, I brought up Sarah Kennedy earlier and like she's great. I, I was to say like she's like the antithesis of that. Mm -hmm. And I like to see like I think some people were coming up and used to like, oh, there goes Joe Brick. Mm -hmm. He's going to be big. He was going to be big one day. He went to New York. Didn't really work out. And, you know, so funny. So funny. But, yeah. you know, the the the, the horse just got him, you know. <laughs> and then it's like, well, they come back a couple years later. It's like, what happened to Joe Brick? It's like, oh, he overdosed. Yeah. Now who's in charge is uh, Jeff Plant uh, or whatever. <laughs> the the A lot of the people I have on the show are, I mean, most people on the show are comedians yeah. in some ways. And it's, it's fun. It's funny seeing the fact that every small scene people came from like people who didn't start in New York, LA or Chicago. Yeah. Everywhere else has the exact same narrative. Yeah. Like there was a few things to do and there was the gatekeepers who would like flex their minimal credits or their experiences on everyone yeah. and they wouldn't let go of a single thing, you know? Something I know has happened and that kind of like maybe we could segue into like my punk show stuff. Yes. Is like, Let's do it. Um, yeah. So I started comedy 20, uh, 20 excuse me 2011 mm. and um i uh i i like i saw the ceiling real fast like the, the gatekeepers were not gonna let me in i was too yeah, weird yeah. and i think like when a trans person before they transition like you're looked at as a dude but you don't smell like a dude there's something off about mm. you you know what i mean because like <laughs> like this sounds this is a con i don't give a crap there's no twitter here but like there's kind of a controversial idea of like oh i had male privilege but like I would get talked over in the way that girls get talked over. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like before that ever happened. And 
really specifically, I was never one of the guys. Right, right. I could never follow that script. And I was never the chill hang. Now I could hang out with dudes all day. And I'm like, I'm just one of the girls. I'm just one of the guys, girls. You know what I mean? I can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like, like um, when I did a tour, I um, uh, recently I did like a seven day tour and they had two salespeople who are like the broiest of bros. And we got along, but like they totally were treating me like one of the girls. Like right. even if they were misgendering me and stuff like that, like I'm not like, Hey, let's go do drinks. Oh, I love softball. Like, like that's who I was. And like, that's what made sense. But like, I was never the bro. I was right, never the guy right. who could get yeah, them drugs. Yeah. And also like, I think I was talented. So like the t uh, king of the uh, scene uh, is not going to let somebody more talented in. Why yeah, would yeah. you do that? But at the same time, uh, there were a couple of kids. I went to New York and a couple of people started with me. Um, they didn't go to New York. And instead, they forged their own scene and started doing bar shows in the hipster areas and filling in a thing that they didn't do before. And then I'm kind of a little I, I think I always kind of am very community based. And like I nudged them to do their own comedy festival and they started it. And so like it went from this like really vibrant bar scene to like them doing an entire comedy festival that lasted for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. And there were a couple of good faiths uh, gatekeepers who are really great about like the new kids. Mm -hmm. But then uh, and it's something I kind of bring into the punk shows is like one of them overdosed and died. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that scene, you know, it's kind of hard to come back from that. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it's just something I'm conscious of is, um, so I run hardcore punk shows in my church and, mm -hmm. um, uh, it started off with, I'm a practicing Quaker. We're one of the good ones. We're not, but like, like they're, they got a good reputation. Yeah. 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 I stand by, I always like to tell people just quickly, like Quakers have had, uh, if you don't know them, the oatmeal religion. Uh, right. Yeah. We've had 200 years of abolition <clears throat> beliefs <throat> uh, and like also 400 years of religion. What does yeah. that tell you? What story does that tell you? Right. Like we're not perfect. Yeah. Um, And um, we're in the basement at like fell uh, after service and this like 16 year old kids like Amber. But there's no punk scene in New York City anymore. And I want to do punk. <laughs> right? The worst child I ever met in my life. I hate him. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, friend of the show. I really can I, I name have, next game? Yeah. I have feelings about statements like that. No, this kid is amazing. I love him. I just have to hate him. Otherwise, I have to like get the gaping maw of just how much I love this child. Uh, <laughs> why would I do that? It's just horrible because he, he does he's just gets in trouble. And why would I worry about a kid that's not mine? Um so you run punk scenes yeah. in your So Quaker we started church. with one show. Here's how I go about things is like we did one show and then my philosophy is like i'm not looking to take over the whole scene i did one show and then i did two shows right and then afterwards i you do one show you do two shows what do you do after that you just start doing a monthly start doing a bi-weekly just you keep going sit down and ask kids what they want you listen mm. right Let, i just got you, you yeah I got it. that was your question I'm sorry. Uh, oh what do you do next uh producer hell no yeah yeah no i talked to the kids one of the kids was a uh, non-white and was like hey i'm not seeing a bunch of people like me i'm, I'm pointing at my uh yeah, yeah. to indicate my race uh i'm not seeing a bunch of non-white kids on the show our next show is gonna be an all poc show mm. and um uh and it was a challenge to how whitewashed Okay, so with punk in New York, there's multiple yeah. different punk communities. This is like the teen punk community that started in 2020. Okay, like it's yeah. like a unique punk community uh, that's different than like say the trans punk community yeah. or like some other teen punk community happening over in Manhattan or something mm -hmm. like that. It's just that. And uh, they did one show and it was amazing. We rose $1,000 to get kids guitars and I gotta mm -hmm. get those kids the guitars. I kind of feel I should be doing that today, but whatever. <laughs> um, and I... Uh, 
we had a community discussion where a hundred kids showed up wow. and talked about the problems <clears throat> in community. And um, we had an artist table in the basement and mm -hmm. we, I gave, I made it cause the kids kind of dropped the ball on their own zine that they were going to do on kids of color. So I made my own zine uh, that was directed towards white kids. Cause like the only, as a anti-racist, the only type of anti-racist I can be is a white anti-racist. So I spoke from that perspective. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like, I don't like that mode of like regurgitating Instagram infographics. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. just like, I'm here to be an ally. I'm like, I don't care. Like, whatever. yeah. So we did that and it was really successful. Now we can only do one more all POC show with this original camp of kids. Cause like the scene, it's, Fuel is the bands and they're the yeah. leaders in the community. And uh, I hope these kids aren't listening. One of the bands is going to be breaking up within three months mm -hmm. because these are seniors and they're vanishing. Right. right uh, another right. one I think is going to be breaking up. Don't get mad at me. Uh, if you're listening, no one's going to listen to this. But like, I think another one's going to be breaking up. And uh, because like one of them's going to college and the right. other ones are sticking around the city and one of them's 16. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And so. Uh, teenagers changing direction in their lives I know. <laughs> and they're fatalistic about their own scene you know yeah, what I mean but yeah. it's also like so I gotta be constantly building new leadership inside of the scene if I wanna like what I learned in stand up is like a scene dissolves pretty fast yeah yeah and it, it's very cool how it does that I, it's kind of like these kids are aware of that yeah uh, and I think how I feel on it is if you beg, borrow, and steal and like throw in your entire energy, you can have a scene last one more generation. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, uh, when you're a young punk, you make fun of the old punks who are like, yeah. oh, do you guys know these bands? Those guys were legends. And yeah, they're yeah. like all crusty and old. And you're like, what does that guy know? He's like an old nerd. It's yeah. like, no, like that guy has just survived the cycles of coming and going. Yeah. And just things are just always different than they were before. Same with comedy communities. Like, you know, exactly. Joe Brick. It's like, who's Joe Brick? I'm like, yeah. I was deep in community and stand up. <clears throat> You got you wouldn't if I were to list to you every name I knew you would be looking at me like a dog showing a car trick right like you're probably like, like I probably know like four or five yeah yeah like <laughs> I knew Mike Lawrence I saw his first time on like like, like there's like three names that are like like it's funny like all these people are insistent it, there's this huge gap in stand up where to most people like stand up comedians we they overinflate the value of stand up comedy in society yeah. In a way that's just like, I think them rationalizing like all this hustle and all this like thing they put into it. And then on the other end is like, if I were to go out on the street right now and ask any people in your neighborhood to name three stamp comedians, they're going to say George Carlin, Tina Fey, and then who, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I think, I think society overflates the importance of com comedians. Yeah. Like now, I yeah. think because of the, the big LA comedians, right. And their podcast, like empires. Yeah. People people think that the comedians are like the source of like perspective and insight and truth telling. No. And it's so wrong because no. non-comedians idolize people like Bill Burr. Like, oh, imagine being a guy who could just smoke cigars, get on stage, speak his mind, make people laugh. And he's contrarian, but he's funny and stuff. But like the truth is, is like every great comedian was just a regular shithead person yeah. or and still is. Yeah. And it's like people in society are like, that's the coolest. I like they, they whatever they say goes it's like, listen, they just they like lightning struck them They They have a skill. They're good at it, whatever. But it doesn't make them any more or less human. Just you know, tingle your brain in a way. And it can be misleading of just like, you ever notice how women always be shopping? Right. And you're like, yeah, I have noticed that. And like, let's ignore yeah. where that comes from or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I still like men shop. Uh, 
to back to the kids is like, so my problem is I'm losing a lot of these kids. So like, um, there are a couple of things happening. Like I got this like trio of 16 year olds who look like Victorian orphans and okay. <laughs> like they have like dirt on their face. And I told them like, you guys are like Victorian orphans. And the only kids is like, I love porridge. And I'm like, I hate these kids. I love them. <laughs> like, like, so like I'm giving them opportunities to like do their own thing. And I'm doing with these like older kids, the same thing I'm doing with these younger kids of just like, we got these resources. You guys have smart ideas and I'm good at coalescing your ideas yeah. and doing the emails. And I'm barely better at you guys than emails, but like I'm more responsible. I'm barely more responsible than you guys. But, Adulthood is about follow through. Yeah. And like embracing that follow through and applying it to get things done. And these kids have <laughs> so. such sober minded ideas. They're not like, let's build a fun factory. They're like, uh, let's do an open mic for uh, POC musicians. <laughs> let's never do a comedy open mic. I told yeah. them, I was like, there's no comedy allowed at this open mic. Uh, and <laughs> Great rule. <laughs> yeah. And like, they're pretty realistic about like all the shit they want to do. And like, I barely had to step in and say like, this is a bad idea. You know what I mean? Um, so like, I respect on them a lot. But like, at the same time, I kind of got really stressed recently in community where uh, there's this other group that I was like working in coalition with like alongside who supposedly were doing the same thing I was doing. They're mm -hmm. trying to get instruments to kids. They're like, we're the anarchist, cool trans punk group, whatever. Uh, but they looked at it as a very top down thing of like, we're here to give you kids opportunities. Mm -hmm. And like, they never listen to the kids. Like I would right. come up to the leader of this anarchist organization and be like, Oh yeah. Um, uh, 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 Felix is having trouble. Have, have you heard from Felix? Because I think he ran away from home recently or whatever. And the kid's like, who's Felix? And I'm like, how do you not know who Felix is? Like, I know who Felix I mean, like, I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> it would make me mad. And like, like you're name dropping 15 year olds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, how do you not know who Felix is? Oh my God, like, loser. To, but also it's like, how do you not know who Felix is? He's been to every single one of your meetings. Yeah, he's in the organ. He's a yeah. part of your thing. Yeah, yeah. and like, like, and how do you not know who, who like, um, Drake's mom is, you know what I mean? Not Drake, but like, I'm making up the names. I'm just making them up on the fly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like, uh, and all this other stuff and they really, really imploded. And like, there's problems inside of the trans community of it's so whitewashed right now. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Like, it's just like, like comedy. I didn't realize how lucky I was about like, let's not pretend comedy is like the most diverse thing, but like, right. I'm not struggling to have color in my life in comedy. You know what right, I mean? Right. And like, you run into people with like the weirdest like like hi i'm hi i'm like uh, a a person with two lesbian parents and like a, a test tube baby and i'm mm. in a wheelchair right that's not and then like that's a thing you would run into all the time in comedy because comedy is about like it's got a low barrier entry so like on the top there's not a lot of diversity but like on the bottom you got every little asshole trying to do exactly trying to enter into the become famous be safe lottery um but like yeah i so like a blow up happened that was like really like racist in a complicated way. Uh, like, I mean, you've had scene drama. It's any scene drama is it's just write it in your head and it happened. And the center of it was like the leader of this group who like really, really fucked up. And these kids were really, really upset at this girl. And I was talking to like one of these kids and it was like, she was like, um, uh, no, this is the other kid. Uh, he was like, uh, he goes like, you're the only trans person in my life. And this person's a trans kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a terrifying thing to hear from a kid. In, in New York City, In New York City, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like, you hear all these trans people all the time. He's like, protect trans kids. And I'm like, who the fuck is showing up for this kid mm -hmm. other than me? And then like, what got scary was like, what happens if I'm injured? 
Right. What happens if I go away? What happens if my job situation shifts and all of a sudden like, like, like everything felt like on my shoulders and like, I was kind of thinking also of the king of the comedy scenes, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. And just like, um, I'm not interested in that ego because I know enough. Like, f- I'm I'm TikTok fame. I got I got the clout. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I walk into rooms and people suck up to me in shallow ways. Like, I'm not afraid of that. And like, I uh, I got a phrase I throw around a lot in community, which is like a Game of Thrones. It you know what I mean? Because like I use that all the time. Honestly, yeah. yeah. And for me, what Game of Thrones means is like it's like a little bit. It means nothing. It's just like what it means for the moment. But like like the sweet spot of what I aim for in terms of like power dynamics inside of my community is like when you're the king, like you're the king for two seconds. Yes. But when you're like the person who's like behind the th- throne and like just knows everybody or go back to that, um, uh, the uh, woman I talked about who worked alongside Robert Moses, mm-hmm. the Bell Mouskowitz. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're the person who's like looking at the books, um, I'm going to bring this to another tour guide story, but Bell Mouskowitz, like the, I talked about how there was a governor who would sit on a desk and he would yeah. look over at her and she would nod. That guy's got an interesting story too. His name was Al Smith. And as a governor, he, uh, well, when he was coming up, he was in this political machine. He was down in lower Manhattan and he was a drunk Irishman. Mm-hmm. And he was a drunk Irishman for the political machine. And he would just knock on doors and be like, don't forget to vote for Tammany Hall this Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. And he was great at this. And it was really in community and everybody loved him. And also, once again, this guy was a former actor. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps him. Like, yeah. I think a lot of community organizers come from like uh, uh, performing arts stuff. Yeah. Like uh, uh, one of Martin Luther King's number two was a, a former singer. And uh, this guy, uh, the machine came up to him and was like, how would you like to become a legislator? How would you like to go up into Albany in the state government? And he goes like, sure, okay. And he ends up going up there and he's a Democrat. Republicans are in charge, who were different Republicans back then. This is yeah. like late 19th century, early 20th century. And they're in charge, so he had nothing to do. And he was a drunk, barely literate, mm-hmm. uneducated Irishman, like all Irishmen are. And uh, he was like, um, had all these pieces of paper on his desk that were bills, and he just started reading them. But he didn't understand them. So to understand one bill, he had to go read another bill. And to understand that bill, he had to go read law books. And all of a sudden, he's like sitting like, let's say, seven years behind the desk. And he has incumbency bias. So he just gets voted up into office over and over and over again. And at the same time, he um, also was the person who was everybody got along across the aisle and like the Albany people are stuck in Albany, New York. Have yeah. you been there? I like Albany, but like, it's not my train to stop there, but I've never hung out. It's not the most charming city. No. <laughs> uh, well, I think it is. I think I actually, I stand, but I stand uh, Albany. Um, I'm going to do a vacation there soon. And, uh, he was becoming friends with everybody and he was getting drunk. And also he wasn't slutty. Uh, yeah, yeah. he got his wife and he deeply loved his wife and he just stuck with his wife. I think that kind of helped him because nobody got anything on him. Cool guy move. Cool Love guy it. move. As, yeah. a, as a wife guy myself. He was a wife guy. Love I was reading move. it. Yeah, Love it was like, move. he's such a wife guy. <laughs> and um, uh, all of a sudden, the thing happened where the power shifted and mm. Republicans got voted out of office and the plate was cleared. And all of a sudden, this guy who had no power had a lot of power really fast because he knew where all the bodies were buried. He knew the laws. So he knew why they were using this one asphalt company instead of the other asphalt yeah, company. Yeah. It's because this guy had a contract with this guy and he knew he was literate in all this stuff. 
And that be and also he was friends with everybody. Yeah. And so that became a lot of power really fast. And like it's kind of weird of like me modeling like how I kind of go about things from like not the best characters, right? But it makes sense. Yeah. It, it's like you you're dealing with like power vacuums and yeah. the assumption that whatever is now will pass. Yeah. And we have to be prepared for it to pass yeah. instead of investing everything in the now. Yeah. You know? Let's let's admit, let's not live in the now. Yeah, let's not live in the now. No, it's it's yeah. in like that sense. Like I use the term game of thrones to what describe like basically any type of diplomatic environment like yeah. my first job out of college i would say it was like game of thrones because someone would quit or get fired every month yeah every other month for a while so it was like i'm just doing this job right now who knows what job and responsibilities i'm gonna have in six months and who yeah. knows where people are gonna shift because we have to fill these power vacuums and like kind of like comedy like diplomacy and comedy is huge right because either you're someone who burns like bridges and you yeah. separate yourself and you have no idea how long your careers are going to go on for. Or I take the other approach. I am generally very kind and very nice to everybody. Yeah. And I don't get involved in people's shit. And I just try to like, you know, that's generally be, how I do about it. I think the exception yeah. is like when it comes time to like poke my head out and like take a slice of the sword, like I take the slice of the sword. Yeah. yeah. There, there are times we got to yeah. draw the line in the sand and be like, this is not okay. I'm not doing this. What I see yeah. in comedy is just like, I was so friendly with so many rapists who end up not being successful. So like, why do I care about that? And like, yeah. I don't want to get into my thing. Um, my YouTube video series, I'm going to do a couple of videos on it. Amberfield essays. Uh, you can also check me out on TikTok, at America's comic Amberfield essays. Um, I, I, my first three years of comedy, I ran mouth a lot and I was the asshole who would burn bridges because I yeah. would call things as I see it. I yeah, had no yeah. filter, which, oh, that's weird. That means you're rude all the time. So weird. That means. <laughs> yeah. Who right? would have thought? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, how come people, how come there's nobody who's like deeply saying, they're like, I deeply love everyone around me. It's like, wow, that person has no filter. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's always like, <laughs> like, oh, you have no filter. And like the thing that's in the core of you is just a rude person. Why is that an accomplishment? I would uh, love to meet a person with no filter who is just full of joy and love for everybody. That's me. That person uh, rules. <laughs> that, that is me. I love everybody. I mean, it's the demand of my religion, but, um, uh, yeah. And then like four years in, I realized like if I'm a nice person and like useful and like, just shows up like it helps me a lot. Um, I think there's some insecurities that I need to like unpack where like what would happen is I'd always be nice to the new comedians. Mm -hmm. And part of that was transactional. Not yeah. all of it was, but like um, I wasn't clicking out. I wasn't making myself feel exclusive to people. Right. And I would be nice to people. And then those people would get inside of their own clicks. And then because I reminded them of a time then they were vulnerable or they surpassed me, they would always kind of be aloof to me. Not all the time. Like the yeah, yeah, yeah. biggest opportunity foothold in my entire life came from somebody who was nice to at a mic for the first time. And then he eventually quit and became a booker. Right. So like that does benefit it. Um, but also like, um, you know, I, yeah, I think it's just like there's a balance because if it's all fake nice, then it becomes transactional. Yes. And the second the rug's pulled on you or you're not useful, then it just all gets pulled off. It's like, yeah. I think it's like for me, it's like about trusting a little bird in your chest on who you want to build relationships with. And like the the guy, like you don't need to do that bar show. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You don't need I, to. I tell people know. that like, especially when you're first starting out, there's a, there's a place where you're like, I will do any show. I will say yes to anything. Yeah. I'll do. And then at a certain point you go, okay, none of these shows actually matter other than just doing a show and getting better and, and networking. Yeah. So if there's someone I'm not cool with who I don't want to be a part of, you yeah. can just say no. I don't yeah. know. I do the, I do the rings of friendship, especially in this. Cause like we're all coworkers at the end of the day yeah. in some aspects. So there's like 
true friends who you meet, who you're going to stick with, who you know very well and spend lots of time with, trust, true friendship. Outside of that, you have like the vi- like friendly acquaintance. Like we'll hang out in front of Mike at a show, we'll talk for yeah. a while, but you maybe not coming over we'll my house. Bump into each tank. other. Yeah. The person that's kind of exciting and beautiful that you haven't seen in three years, and then you see him again. I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen yeah. you. And yeah, and then you have then you have the next ring out, which yeah. is the transactional friendly. Like, yeah. hey, we're nice to each other, we're cool with it, but we're gonna we want to trade stuff. You got something I want, I got hey, something hey, you want. Hey, what's your name? Oh, no, no, what's your what's your uh, what's your um, what's your product number? What's your uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah? And then outside of that, the next ring out is diplomatic. Is yeah. like, yeah, well, but you just say hi, whatever. Be on our way. And then outside of that is like, let's just not. <laughs> so like, you know, like when I was like deeply closeted, uh, <laughs> you know, you got to deal with like women. You got to deal with women. Oh, my worst. And like there's this thing that I think I was sensitive. This poor podcast does not support the opinion that women are the worst. <laughs> women are the worst. Have you met a woman? Oh, you're meeting one now. I love um, my I love the woman I am married to very much. That is the only woman I've ever known. <laughs> but I I um. Uh, I would notice this thing of like the 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 conversation you would have if there's like a guy who's like bad in community, but yeah. like the woman don't want to say it. It's always just like, oh, I love uh, 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 my my glass, and then they always go like, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't validate it. They would just like look at you and nod, and I'd pick up of like. Oh, that's a bad person, and they can't say anything more. The and, thing that the bri- a lot of times bridge burners and bad dudes don't realize is women all talk to each other in a community. Yeah, and so if you're a bad guy and you do a fucked up thing to one woman, every other woman will know about that very soon. There's and a whisper network, exactly, and like men, men like discount that or like yeah, whatever, and like mostly bad dudes, right? And like people who are harmful trying to take advantage of people. But when you like encounter it and you're like, okay, you guys, you all know, it's just the dudes who are all unaware of this. Like, I don't know. I um something we're working with in community is like there's somebody who it sounds impolite. Oh, I don't know if I should get into that. There's somebody who people have been running mouth about, yeah, who are yeah. worried about, who like I think those people are speaking in bad faith. Mm-hmm. And like I need to have conversations inside of the punk community about like, what do we do with this situation? You know what I mean? Like Yeah, yeah. Cause like some of these people change. Like right. I, I've worked with prison justice stuff. Uh this is gonna this is I'm gonna say it on a, a, a I think podcasts are great mediums to say controversial stuff because like like <laughs> like if you're listening, you're not listening to get angry. You know what I mean? Like like a lot of times when my I I, I go like kind of non-controversial. A lot of times like when my guest is about to get controversial, I'm just like, my listeners know me, they know I'm not <laughs> I'm not about to do this. So, all right. I, I don't want to step on anybody's sensitivities, but like, whatever. I'm a stranger. You'll never see me again the rest of your life. <laughs> and like, the amount, like, you're allowed to disagree with this fact. Uh, what are the two crimes that have the lowest recidivism rate? The lowest what rate? Recidivism. Like, what does that mean? You never commit again. Oh, never commit again. Um, I would say, geez, I'd say murder is probably one. Yes. And the other one is something that you die instantly on the spot when you commit it. No, I'm talking about people run. who get incarcerated. They don't. Yeah, I, they get I, out, I have yeah. no idea what the second one. Murder and something uh, else. Uh, murder and sexual assault. Oh, really? Yeah. And think about it. I mean, for murder, we have a term for recidivist. <laughs> yeah. Murderers, a serial killer. That's a rare thing. You yeah. know what I mean, you don't go around killing. And same for uh, people who do sexual assault. And uh, that's because statistically... And not holistically, not 100% of them 100% of the time, but holistically or um, statistically, 
Uh, these are crimes of age when you're still developing under the age of 25, like mm. you're not making the best decisions. And so you do stuff like that. And like, uh, so, you know, people do that horrible thing that is unforgivable. You know what I mean? But like, uh, and I'm not happy about it. And like, I've been a victim of murder. Mm. <laughs> uh, I've been a victim <laughs> of some bad stuff and it's like, um, you know, I think like, what I saw in comedy at towards the end is uh, there were two giant social movements that felt slightly contradictory of each other, which is the Me Too movement, mm -hmm. which I'm happy about, yeah. and the George Floyd movement, which I'm happy about. And I think the contradiction that is like really, really hard to like settle in your brain is like one was really, really carceral. It's like you did this. Ooh. You did this thing. I hit the mic if you're listening at I home. told you the mic's to make any yeah. sounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, it's just like it floats. Uh, you did the same. <laughs> oh no, Amber just fell down a cliff. Uh, I got to think about Dan uh, Daniel Perrin in a second. Um, <laughs> speaking of rapes. No, 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 no. I love it. He's oh not like God. that. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, but like, uh, is like, Me Too is like an accusation. Yes. And it's not giving a clear, like, I don't want to sound like Joe Rogan here because I'm not speaking from that. I'm speaking from the interests of justice and mm. things going right for people. There's not clear paths for justice. Yes. You know what I mean? And not clear uh, for clemency or whatever. And uh, George Floyd is about anti-incarceration, mm. forgiveness. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word. Um, you know, just forgiveness. You know what I mean? And I think it's for accountability. Accountability. And um, I, I can't remember. And also a lot of prison abolition. You know what I mean? Which is like, yeah, a, yeah. as a Quaker, that's a belief of mine. Mm -hmm. Um and they kind of like hit its head. So like, I really, I don't have the answers. And there's a book on it that I want to read of like what to do with a rapist, which like I'm going to pick up. I'm going to read that in the subway. <laughs> and it's just like, um, just, 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 I don't care. Reading in the sub with a trench coat and a hat really low over your eyes. One of my favorite sneaky. books on race is like, why are all the black kids sitting in this cafeteria? And it feels like such a Simpsons joke to like read that in the subway. It's just like, oh, I guess she wants to know why all the black kids sit together in the cafeteria. I don't know why. You know, I've always wanted to read on the subway. I've always wanted to read like a pop-up book. You know, like, oh a kid's book. like you turn the page and the thing pops up and you go, <gasps> and everyone watches you be surprised by the pop-up book. <laughs> okay, so Daniel, Daniel Parafin, I'm just changing uh, uh, tones, but Daniel Parafin just popped in my head. We used to be very close friends, and mm -hmm. I deeply love this person. We just, like, we burned out on our friendship. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. what happens, and there's nothing more interesting than that. And um, he was, I think he's my favorite comedian. Mm -hmm. Like, I hope, I don't know, I feel weird talking about him. Like, no, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, he's my favorite comedian, <laughs> and he's been doing the same shit for, like, 15 years now. It's still great, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I would, he is, like, not... He's my favorite comedian out of like comedians who have albums. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and uh, you know, when I first started in New York, uh, did you ever go to the Pit? It was like the improv theater that you would go to if you couldn't, your parents couldn't afford the uh, I, rich people theater. I only went to the Pit open mic one time in the in the attic room, the no. weird little stairs no, room. No, no, no. This one was in like Twenty Third Street. The pit loft. No, this is not. This is oh the other twenty third street. Is uh, this one's like uh, right near the uh, Madison Square Garden, Madison Square uh, near the Flatiron Building. I uh, know. Okay, it's no. like you could walk there from the Flatiron Building. And um, stadium seating, like pretty huge, about the size of a garage. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it had the improv doors, 
and stuff like that. And there's this open mic. I think originally Adam Conover from Adam Ruins Everything started it. Mm -hmm. And it was like passed from person to person. And in this time when people were doing a billion, how many open mics are people doing? Are they like still feverishly doing a shitload of open mics or no? I think uh, people who are in their first year or two feverishly yeah. do open mics. And I'm I taking off my sock, on, by the way. People. Yeah. <laughs> After that, I think people kind of chill and okay. ease up. I think... I think uh, people identify that grind culture is okay. very toxic and harmful, okay. but getting good. This is the height of well. grind culture because like yeah. Mike Lawrence broke out doing 15 mics in a week and people assumed that that's why he was successful in that because he's like a contrived mean person. But my like, wife started, she did 28 mics in one week one yeah. time. Who's your know. wife? Uh, Lee Lan. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did 30 mics in one time. Yeah. So I beat your wife. Oh my God. <laughs> no, I didn't mean it like that. Oh my God. So yeah, horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was horrible. And it's just this grind mentality. But like this people running around the city mm -hmm. and people trying to enter the uh become famous get yeah. safe lottery and uh monday night at 11 it was like the last mic of the night and it was like this one that you had to be at yeah and it was like a dollar to be and like it was just like everybody was like it was a hot crowd and it stayed hot for a very very long time until it, what it's an open mic. yeah it's it gets back but like and also you got like floodlights and it looks great it looks like a real stage and like Dennis gets up there and he's like, oh, this is like a really cool stage. Oh, what's this back there? Oh, is this? A and he's like behind the stage and he starts doing all these voices and mm -hmm. just does this like improvises this incredible like, like just like story of it's just like, oh, there's a beautiful woman back here. Hi, I'm I'm Tina. <laughs> I love kissing big Puerto er, Colombian men. <laughs> oh, I would love to kiss you. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Hey, what are you doing here? Oh no, my boyfriend. Oh no, oh no, oh no. And then he made like the little kill That's thing fantastic. with the tank. And then he killed the husband. And it became this like whole sprawling storyline where he goes like, oh no, yes, I'm the only witness. Yeah, that's right. You're a witness. And then it's like, it was like, wait, I'm I'm Tina's son or whatever. And it was just such a fun, like, you know, like I got my cynicism. I'm taking off my socks. Whatever. I'm not even get mad at me. Um, it's such like a great, like I got cynicisms about comedy, but it, like, you know, I think in this conversation, I talked about like the political good and like that kind of comes from that. And also yeah. like, that weird, like fun sharing moment, just seeing some of the most like insane stuff. And there's a little bit of sweet. It was just like, I've seen like once in a lifetime talents have to move back to their moms. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just like, that sucks. But it's a great gift to see that. I think I got another one yeah. where like um, this guy, he quit. I can't even remember his name anymore, mm -hmm. right? I remember he was kind of a gay guy. Well, he was a gay guy. And, um, you know, one of those kind of like shy, brunette, kind of feathered hair. He had glasses. And he was like, if you got a gay club, he's the guy who's like hugging the wall. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like he's that guy. And he gets up on stage and he talks about his like hesitancy about expressing his sexuality and I'm gay, but like I'm insecure about it. And remember one time I, uh, I was on a subway and I saw this gay couple and they were like a really beautiful gay couple. And mm. they, you know what? I guess, let me stop. I can't tell the story. Cause like, I can't visualize it. So you two, this is at an open mic. This happened. Okay. Uh, he was like, you two. And he pointed actually to me and Dennis just to pick somebody on stage. Like, can you come up here on stage? And can you act this out for me? Like while you're doing it. So then me and him just like, just don't do bits. Just, just like hold your strap and like, just like look at each other and do what I described. And he starts to like tell him more of the stories. Like, you know what? This, this, I, I can't visualize this. Like I need you. There's an old woman sitting next to them. And that was really important to the story. Mm -hmm. So this woman, uh, can you come up here on stage? And that keeps happening until in this 30 person open mic, literally every person's on stage. <laughs> and then at the end of it, he goes like, oh crap, I can't tell the story. I don't have an audience. And so he goes out into the seating and he finishes the story there. 
That's great. That's a great bit. Yeah. And I remember like that night, I was just hanging around the creek the whole night. And I saw that. I saw some guy who is uh, uh, respectfully like like a mid comic mm -hmm. who um, has the Tonight Show special and now has like probably makes like six figures on a podcast right now. And he did all right. It was just fucking around to three people. And at the end of the night was a former Saturday Night Live tough crowd jerk mm -hmm. who was working on his crappy Broadway show that just wasn't saying anything interesting. Mm -hmm. And then of those three, like the thing that I'm still like the jokes I'm still remembering, like what must have been like close to a decade later was this crappy open micer who had to go back home to South Carolina to live with his mom. Yeah. And uh, these other guys, like they're still at it. You know, it's, there's no justice in the world, so I'm not waiting for it. But like, mm. it's just like, uh, you know, it's nice to have the opportunity. You, you, how are we yeah. all the time? Yeah. Uh, we're doing all right. We got probably about 10 minutes left. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. 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 It's, um, I think the, the temp, the, the impermanence of it all and like experiencing the momentary magic of the thing, those things yeah. is like, that's like the best part of life is yeah. like, I don't know who cares if you're famous is, is if when you die, you get to look back and be like, wow, I saw and did a lot of cool shit. You yeah. know, and like, I think it's like, you know, I don't like being invested in immortality. I like death. I love death. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just cause like, you're done. You know what I mean? And you don't have to worry about it anymore. And like, uh, uh, you know, those like Jackson Pollock paintings that are like, mm -hmm. like dots and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm stealing yeah. this from, um, a, a, another like, artist who made a point that like if those Jackson like if you put in an AI machine and those Jackson Pollock dots went off forever mm -hmm. there would be nothing to attach to like mm -hmm. it's the thing that makes a Jackson Pollock painting a painting is the border around it and I think that's the same with life it's just mm -hmm. like everyone's afraid of mortality but it's just like I mean that's why I think when we say that uh, death gives life meaning is that it needs a border to contextualize what you got and like especially yeah. as a trans person I'm in community with people who don't have their full, you know, like six score and 10. You know what I mean? Like they're not, they don't get their full lives. And so, you know, like the mother of Latravius's, Donna's, Emma's in my life, like um, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're an eight minute bit when instead of a 40 minute special. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like there's stuff equally as fun. And I think I do like, like um, sometimes like that, like, yeah, just, you know, don't worry about your immortality. You, 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 you know, live for now. I think it's like sometimes it'd be a little nihilist. Like mm -hmm. I love uh, Harris Whittles, the comedian. Okay. Uh, he was like a Twitter comedian and he worked for Parks and Rec. Um, okay. And I love like Mac Miller and both of them were like really, both of them died of overdoses and both yeah. of them were really existential about how nothing means anything mm -hmm. and just live for now. And that's like a really beautiful way of looking at it, but also both of them overdosed. You know what right. I mean? And I think like, um, especially as a trans person, like, uh, something that matters and I think it's something I kind of push to like other people who don't have like there's something that you're rat fucked by the system somehow you know mm -hmm. what I mean and like like I imagine you're pretty conscious of that but like it's kind of hard to have like a history rooted in your identity but like like I am doing what I'm doing to act right by those who came before me because I'm standing on top of a bunch of bodies right now like the fact that a tranny it, I'm not like so trauma soaked that I'm incoherent you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm standing in front of you and able to like talk this lucid and walk down the street without getting my ass beat is I'm walking on top of a lot of dead bodies to be able to do that. And so I'm, and also some of those dead bodies are pretty recent, like the Mother of Travis's, the Amazon, mm -hmm. the Donna's, um, and, and, and the Cora's. And, uh, so like, I got to act right by them. And it's also like, um, I think I'm creative and I think I'm doing good. And I mm. think like, I, I think I'm going to make stuff of like consequence. I just feel that vague thing unless it doesn't happen. But like, I think I got that in me, but also like, 
uh, a novel is like one thing and also like building a punk community in the 2020s uh, with a bunch of kids in a certain area of the world. Like as a tour director, I work with so many kids and like it's incomprehensible and almost terrifying the amount of impact you can have on a kid, especially as like out trans person and not just yeah. to, like the queer kids, like just like me taking full ownership. That's why people are trying to like knock down. That's why a lot of this anti queer shit is not uh, centered on the kids because this idea that our kids are of our property is being knocked down. And the yeah. fact that I could have full ownership and just change my name is such a terrifying thing to some people because it just defies this idea that kids are an extension of your property right. and your legacy. And like, uh, so like, and the kids don't have any political stake in it when they're no. young. They just they meet a person. If that person is kind to them, that person is fine no matter what yeah. they look like. Yeah. Like uh, upstairs, upstairs, resident Debancourt Chatterjee, former guest, has pulled a pizza out of the oven and su surprised the whole building. <laughs> so we so, got we we had a cut, and I think what trans, I was culminating yeah. to is just like. Uh, you know, I'm not here to build my novel. Like yeah. I knew people in film school like that. I was like, I want to make the film. I'll be remembered with it. It's just like, most people don't remember the film, but like, um, the immortality is your participation in the big picture is just like, mm -hmm. you do have consequence. And yeah. I think that's like a lot of people like to say that you don't, but like, uh, you know, in Sam comedy, I don't think it's, I'm going to say this uncleanly, but someone told me they quit drinking because of a stray sentence. I told them, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like yeah. you do have that impact on people. And like, there is also like the impact on the future. You know yeah. what I mean? And like, like, uh, everyone has participation. The, uh, it, everybody participates in a history book. Yeah. And it's not, some of it is louder and more noticeable, but like, I think that if these kids who I run the punk shows with, like, and just, especially a lot of them are like marginalized kids mm -hmm. of color, queer, uh, and me just kind of, Oh, I tell a silly story about people calling me slurs on the street and how I manage that in a healthy way. All of a sudden, they got problems in the future that probably aren't going to be the same problems that I got, but like is a struggle. Like they know that someone can kind of go through that. All of a sudden, you have another strong person who yeah. knows that stuff. And that's who I'm built on top of. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And not just historically, like like uh, historical figures like uh, Bayard Rustin or you know, it's it's the memory of um, the trans woman at my church when I, it back. This is a not a Quaker church. It was a, 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 a UCC, I think. Uh, the trans woman in 2002 that I would see running around my church. You know what mm. I mean? And just like, oh, a trans person can exist. And imagine being a trans woman. I mean, imagine being a trans woman in like 1970s hard, but like 2002. It's just weird. You know what I mean? It's just like, it just imagine like, incredibly difficult. Yeah. Like it's not easy now and it's the best it's ever been. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. Like, like uh, to steal a line from a trans woman named uh, ContraPoints, uh, she's like, like this is hard, but I couldn't imagine transitioning at any sooner time in history. Like mm -hmm. people are like trans women are so strong. It's like, no, 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 no. Only the strong people, either the, the people who transition are either like the incredibly strong, resilient people. It's a selection bias or like, the most Game of Thrones, little finger, slimy piece of shit you ever met in your life. Like, like those are the two people who transition and like, like just normies and stuff like that. And like, you know, like I hear trans people talk a lot about like assimilation, all this, the turning transness into normieship. It's like, I want normies to transition. I want mediocre people. That's liberation is like getting to the point where like mediocre people get to transition. Like, uh, mm -hmm. like where it's just like, that's a gift. You know what I mean? And yeah. just like, you know, comparably like people talk about like black, women are so strong. And it's like, well, do they have to be like, you know what I mean? Like, do, do, can we have a world where we have like, like, 
they don't have to put up with a bunch of bullshit. We we're fair and kind to everybody, yeah. so no one has to be exceptionally brave to accomplish yeah. normal things. Yeah, it's just like there's so much pain and sadness in that. Like, oh, there's. I mean, like I remember they during George Floyd. Like, I went to a lot of protests, and there were these two organized by these like two 19 year olds from Howard University, mm. the, the mm -hmm. HBCU. And like they're, they're corny. They probably got it from some Instagram story, but like their chant that they, as like 20 white people were following around them in Park Slope. <laughs> <laughs> they kept on saying is uh, we are not our strength. They were saying something like that. Yeah, and yeah. If, if there's someone listening at home who's familiar with that, it's probably, I don't know. I always thought a lot of those chants were like, oh, it's the thing everybody knows. But I keep on saying the phrase to kids and community who protects us. We protect us. I don't know. I oh, that's people, what I was going to guess. But yeah, I wasn't yeah, yeah. sure. I was like going through the rhythm in my head. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, who, anyways, that's how that is. Yeah. I'm sorry. You yeah, yeah. Say. yeah. I, I did. I did march. Uh, I went to. Oh, a good for you. Good for me. Good for you. Did you yeah. march today? Because today's a pride march and we yeah. need allies to I show marched up. from the climbing gym to here. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you do more allies? Why don't you, why don't you meet up to my like <laughs> unexplicit expectations? And when you really press me, it's mostly just voting and being less rude to us. Why don't you do more allies? Yeah. I uh, hate I hate most trans people on TikTok. They're the worst. Just I have no hot takes. I got I got trans friends. I got people. Oh, good. Got, you some of your best friends are trans. <laughs> I got. Listen, I'm. Uh, I I do I do my best. I'm one of the things that I embrace is that um, my family is not like super far right or anything like yeah. that. But like when I meet family and friends that I haven't seen in a while, like I'm just the super progressive. But I I am the. I'm the. Have you ever thought about it this way? Uh, I'm the. Yeah. I'm the gateway person. And also, that's the that's best you can do. I mean, yeah. it's just like I think some of like bad discourse and just like how things work is like uh, you attack the people who will listen. Yeah. And so like allies, a lot of them are guilty and weird about it. Yeah. And they're like see people suffering. And like, oh, is there anything I can do? And then the worst people on TikTok and Twitter are like weaponize it. I remember like when I first came out, like I blocked this trans person where she's like, cis people, if you think January six is bad, know that it's that's that's how it is every day for a trans person. I mean, while I'm just sitting there in my underwear, I'm just like, what, what's going on? I'm, just, mm -hmm. I'm fine. You know what I mean? And just like, you know, I just realized my socks were like, I forgot that there's a video component to this. <laughs> that's okay. And I'm sure that's like bothering some person watching at home, James. So we're, we're down to our last little bit here. Yeah. And, uh, in the next five minutes, uh, you got a project you're starting. Yeah, I'll talk you about my, I have Amberfield essays, uh, on YouTube. I do video essays and I, um, uh, I have two essays on there already that I made in the past. One that is actually cited in like academic papers on the movie Josie and the Pussycats about how it's the greatest film ever made. And it talks about how gender and that phrase greatest film of all time is very gendered. Mm. And uh, the other one is called I Miss My Cat, which is on, um, I think it's I Miss My Dead Cat. I can't remember what I made the title. I might've made it on SEOE. But um, it's on pet death. And I talk about more of what we talked about here about like the aesthetics of death and that thing about the painting uh, going on forever. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I am on TikTok. My TikTok, I do tour guide content and some stuff that's like transy, but not annoying about it. Uh, it's at America's Comic. But I want to try to move over to my video essays. Um, I'm working on a video essay series, which is a lot of it's about whiteness and how white people can deal with whiteness. And this sounds annoying. I don't give a shit. It's about whiteness from a white perspective. Mm -hmm. And it, the first half leads up to a story of why I quit stand-up comedy. And it's a very dramatic story that involves proud boys getting blackballed from comedy clubs and people who were my best friends suddenly throwing me underneath the bus. Uh, but to talk about that, I have to talk about a bunch of other aspects and like weird surprises mm -hmm. that I have. I gave a kid up for adoption. What's the deal with mm -hmm. that? I'm a big mystery. And then the second half, 
if the first half's about like racist white supremacist, the second half is more about, oh, I love your hair, white mm. supremacy, and all of it's culminating to uh, one final essay about pacifism. And that's a weird thing. Who cares about pacifism? But I really, really want, I think uh, violence is everywhere. And uh, we don't really think about pacifism or a lot of like the Dr. King uh, mm-hmm. ideas anymore. And I really, it's going to be like a, just a big deep dive built on all this other stuff I was talking about. Because like pacifism and race, they dance together. Sometimes it benefits racism sometimes it benefits anti-racism so right uh amberfield essays is also really really funny and i go like weird places with it and uh yeah i don't know all right amberfield essays guys go fo- go follow her go watch her youtube guys? documentaries i'm pointing at the camera okay. no no i'm kidding I'm sorry, sorry. Sorry, do you yeah. want a video essay you only have men watching your video okay you keep going sorry sorry <laughs> guys uh amber essays wait well it was amber essays right amberfield essays. amberfield essays go yeah. watch amberfield essays subscribe on youtube support her and her content thank you and follow america's comic on tiktok, TikTok. um uh, also i got a tour guide company it's uh if you go on uh airbnb i'm if you're in new york city if you want a brooklyn bridge tour i got brooklyn bridge tour with yelling it's the politics of building really really big things and it ends with <laughs> Me talking about Robert Moses. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Well, guys, go take a tour. If you're in New York City, this yeah. is what you got to do. I'm the only good tour guide in your city. That's not even like a tagline. That's the thing I sincerely mean. <laughs> awesome. We'll follow Amber everywhere. Not in person, but on like online stuff. So Book I can a take tour. a piss now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll talk to you all next week. All right. Have a blast. Bye.